and welcome along to episode four of Trinity Reconnected, the series where I catch up with fellow 1982 graduates from Trinity College in Dublin. My name is Jerry Foley. Trinity has always attracted a good number of students from Northern Ireland, a positive coming together of different traditions, North and South. Just two years after graduating, I moved to Belfast, where I spent four years working as the Ireland correspondent for TVAM. I learned a lot, both professionally and personally, during that time. My guest today not only grew up in the North, but returned home to work and live there post-graduation. So let's meet them. Joe, you're first off. Say hello. Hello to everyone out there. My name is Joe Torney. Uh, born, bred and schooled in Belfast um, and have returned uh, and settled down, married, settled down and uh, brought up with my family. But um, I returned from Trinity in 1982 and worked in the family's fresh produce business. Um, and that provided me with a tremendous opportunity to travel to our suppliers in North America, South America and throughout Europe. And through the 80s, um, the business then was absorbed by the Fife's Group. Um, and that allowed me time to become more involved in the family investment company. Um, and I took responsibility for that in the early 2000s. And that business uh, was involved in residential property development. Uh, we got, a, <clears throat> got involved in a small hotel here in Belfast. And my wife and sister opened a day nursery and developed a, an adult training facility for childcare. Absolutely, very varied. Uh, so from a banana republic to a substantial uh, property portfolio, <laughs> or something like that. Um, so listen, uh, let's go along to, to Esther and welcome her along. Good evening. Um, what's your shortened story? Hi, Jerry. Um, I'm Esther McQuillan. Um, my degree was a Bachelor of Social Studies from Trinity and it was combined with a professional qualification in social work. After I graduated, I started work as a probation officer back in the north and for the newly formed probation board for Northern Ireland. I worked with the board for about 20 years in total in different field offices and also for a few years in one of the prisons. And then I decided I wanted a change and I moved to the voluntary sector to work for a charity that supports people with Parkinson's and their families. And I was with them for 13 years in support and service development roles. But for the past four years, I've worked for the Patient Experience Library, uploading and cataloguing reports and academic research articles on all aspects of patient experience. That's a very full calendar you just outlined. And uh, finally, across to Michael. What's your story, Michael? Hello, Jerry. Michael Thompson. Well, mine's a wee bit quicker. I left Trinity, did a year in Queens. And then, like a lot of my colleagues who did business studies, I qualified as an accountant. And then 34 years ago, I fell into the University of Ulster, planning to stay for a few months. But like I said, that was 34 years ago, and I'm still there. <laughs> By popular demand, obviously. Well. Um, let's just go back a little bit to the beginning of your journey to uh, Trinity. So, Joe, there you were, uh, a schoolboy growing up in West Belfast in the 70s. When did Trinity mm. first come on the horizon as a realistic prospect for you? <laughs> I was fortunate in that my father was already <clears throat> doing business with other um, fruit importers based in Dundalk and Dublin, Jerry. So I inevitably got roped into the odd journey down. Back in school, the careers advisor had said to a classmate of mine, Terry Cullen, why don't you guys go head down to the open day in uh, Trinity, which we did. 
So that would have been in the spring of 1978. Um and I suppose we, we had the wanderlust at that point. Restless history, as they always say. Now, Esther, was it was it a tricky choice or a straightforward choice for you to go to Trinity? Um, it was a straightforward choice for me personally, Jerry. but tr- going to Trinity was definitely not something that was uh, on the horizon in the school that I went to. And I think there was only myself and one other person who actually applied to go to Trinity. And because we had to apply through the Irish system that was a a, a big thing you know and and uh, there was a lot of sort of exceptions had to be made for us and we were made to feel like we were a bit of a nuisance really um i i had been uh, i had been attracted mainly by the course because the course in trinity combined the professional qualification and social work with your degree it meant that you didn't have to go and do a degree and then go and do your professional qualification and also, um, and, and not for a very exciting reason, really, I suppose, but I I, um, I didn't really want to leave the land mass. Uh, um, so I, I was quite happy to go down to Dublin. And Michael, you had gone to a very prestigious uh, public school, boarding school in Enniskillen. Again, That's... was Trinity something which was talked about amongst your contemporaries? Well, there would have been a couple of teachers there who had been to uh, Trinity particularly who were involved in the rowing. There have been big members of the boat club and then they came back. So it was on their horizon. And obviously, I think Samuel Beckett and Oscar Wilde are two old patrons <laughs> who I think went to Trinity. I hope I'm right. Um, so it was always on the menu. Uh, I think there was maybe four of us went in my year. I mean, Joe, was it a, an escape from what was happening on the streets of Belfast? Or did it feel like Dublin was a, a slightly strange in some ways, slightly backward place? Oh, it certainly was a change <clears throat> for me, Jerry. I mean, I tried to immerse myself in, in university life. Um, I had <clears throat> played Gaelic football for uh, my school for a number of years, and it seemed the obvious club to join in Trinity. And yet, my goodness, the uh, members, you could count on the fingers of two hands, um, putting a team together. And went out of my way to make friends quickly down there, um, so the, the sport was a real opportunity for me to sort of forge a new future. Um, but you know, <clears throat> life wasn't life in the north was never very far away. I just I'd met my future wife in January of 1978. So we then began to conduct a, a, a long range uh, relationship. You know, either me Rose came to Dublin or I went back to Belfast. So uh, I was never very far away and. Um, but yet, you know, I, I was thinking back today when I was scribbling down a few notes, you know, the hunger strikes of 1981 and the British Airways office, which was just on out, outside of the walls of Trinity there. Um, I mean, the troubles were not, not that very far away. And um, you always had a sense that um, your life was going to be impacted, whether you lived in Belfast or whether you lived in Dublin. I was a bit like Joe in a way because um, my my husband um i had started going out with him before i came down to trinity so i went home quite a lot at weekends and in fact um i got engaged the day that bobby sands was buried and i remember standing outside the back gate the arts building um waiting um for my, my now husband to come down and he had got so badly held up with all the the delays and, mm. and the the protests. Um, I thought he'd maybe changed his mind, but um, mm. it, it, never, uh, so never in doubt. 
<laughs> so, so uh, as Joe says, the, the North was never very far away, um, and and I I was quite lucky because I when I went to Trinity, um, a friend of mine was going into her third year, and I shared a flat with her for two years, and she kind of really showed me the ropes because coming from a small village in the glens of Antrim, Dublin was a very big city. But um, mm. I have to say, I, I I loved Dublin as a city, and I loved it from the day I went there. So. Also, almost exposed. I remember going up to the GPO to use the phones. It's very hard to get a phone in Dublin. You talked about mm. you know, the, the south being a bit backward. Well, I mean, it was much easier to get a phone in the north than it was in the south. And the GPO, and I remember going up there when they were sort of trying to burn down the British home stores and stuff like that. Mm. And I, in my sheltered existence in Pretoria Royal School, <laughs> I hadn't seen much of that stuff. And uh, I, I you know, that definitely sort of changed me. The hunger strikes, funny, Esther mentions the hunger strikes. We didn't go. I was in the boat club at that time. We didn't go to the uh, rowing championships in Castle Wellen uh, around that time because... In County Down, yeah. In County Down, because we feared for our safety, which, you know, looking back, I don't know if that was the right thing or not, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not, not, uh, just you're, you're talking about your boat club experience there, Michael. It reminds me of um, <clears throat> the Sigerson Cup. Um, was hosted in the year 81-82, which would have been our final year, yeah, 81-82, and Queen's University hosted the tournament in Belfast. And by that stage, I had uh, assumed responsibility as treasurer of the Gaelic Athletic Club in Trinity. So the grant application went in to such an extent that uh, we found ourselves with sufficient funds to stay in the Europa it seemed kind of ironic, <laughs> as it as it Europa. became known as it became known as the most bombed hotel in the world. But uh, the, the guys in the Gaelic club weren't that concerned. They just really wanted to know how cheap the pints were in the Crown across the road from the Europa, in the <laughs> Crown Bar. So, uh, Michael, you had a nice little story about how your primary school education was interrupted by the fact that the school was too darn close to the Europa. It was when I didn't come home. One. Day I stayed to play chess, which, as I told you, I'm the world's worst chess player. But I stayed behind <laughs> to play chess, and my mother thought I'd been blown up in the Europa, and that's why she humped me off to Pretoria. Uh, it wasn't really for my educational well-being; it was for my physical well-being. And in terms of you all going back to the north, Esther, I want to talk to you initially about going into the probation service which is a hard job in any part of the United Kingdom and in Ireland, but it must have been particularly difficult in the 80s dealing with prisoners across the north of Ireland. Well, um, I suppose I didn't really, I didn't work with prisoners until a bit later than that because I was working in field offices. Um, You're talking about the hunger strikes there. I actually did my second last placement from Trinity in North Belfast the summer of the hunger strikes, which was a really, really difficult time Mm. and uh, definitely a baptism of fire um, in terms of just being aware of of different communities in Belfast and the stresses and the strains on on all those communities. Um, So that that was, it was a particularly difficult time. And I don't know why I decided, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed um, the probation work and, and, um, and decided that that's what I wanted to do. Wonderful mentors, um, difficult times. I mean, when I worked in the Coleraine office, we had a huge bomb in the centre of Coleraine, which destroyed our office. And I remember having we were all sent in the next morning, clambering up like these sort of the remnants of the stairs to make sure that all the filing cabinets were secure still um, before they were moved out. And um, 
I actually remember finding my mug that I had had in every kitchen in every office since I was a student and it was still intact and I was weirdly pleased by this <laughs> that I retrieved my mug from the bombed out building. Um, but that was important so, because it was something constant in a state of turmoil. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a really it was it was a really a nice thing to happen and say, you know, so so the troubles and 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 the impact on people's lives um, was never far away when you worked in probation. And let's sort of bring it forward to to now and the transformation. We all know there are still problems, there are still issues, which will be reflected, no doubt, in the election campaign to come. But you all stayed. You've all built successful careers and family lives in Nor- in Northern Ireland. So, Joe, what were the big pluses about running a business in the North and bringing up your kids? Well, that's interesting that you should make mention of the children, Jerry. All three of our children, um, when they'd finished their schooling, headed off to university in Scotland and um, <clears throat> completed their studies. And uh, two of them, at least, uh, stayed on for a couple of years. Uh, Claire moved down to London for a couple of years. But Claire and Jared have since returned to Belfast, um, settled down and made their homes here. Lucy, the youngest, is still in Glasgow. Um, what has brought them back? What what brought me back? I th- it has to be, it, you know, people talk about and use this word resilience, but the people from Belfast and Northern Ireland have shown remarkable resilience. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, my family had built up a family-based business, so you feel, you feel that, not an obligation, but you feel a desire to continue that. And that's certainly what I felt. I mean, the business, our, our family business was absorbed into a larger multinational uh, fruit importing business um, and the opportunities were fantastic within that business. But something something just within me said, listen, <clears throat> I think we're going to make our home here. I don't want to spend that much time away from home. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to travel and see uh, parts of the world which I wouldn't otherwise have seen. And Yet I said to me, Rose, as I drove to Port Stewart last week, listen, it's only when you've been away can you compare this place to others. And it it compares with the best, Jerry, in terms of the people and the resources. But Esther, Joe was talking about his children initially went to university in uh, on the mainland, to use that phrase. Um, mm-hmm. But your kids, I think, uh, still live across here in England. They do, yeah. They, bo- they both went to university in England and are both still living in England. Um, Any I, temptation I, to come back to the north? I, I'm I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think my kids. Um, I, I I our our family was a mixed marriage, and um, I think my children. Um, while we tried to get integrated education for them when they were young, and we succeeded quite well in primary school because they went to the prep part of the the school that they later went to. Um, I I think you know integrated education was just. Well, it's still it's still not not good enough up here, and I think it's a big issue. Um, but it, it wasn't really available, and I, I do think that they experienced quite a lot of difficulties really growing up. I'm not sure. I suppose you need to ask them really, but I do think they had issues. Um, certainly, grow with you know being accepted or being seen as different or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean that's I, very I, that's very open of you to say that because it. 
you know, coming from a mixed marriage, as you say, it was difficult. And yeah. in some places it's still difficult. Mm. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I, I think it's more acceptable now. But at the time we got married, it, 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 it was quite an unusual thing in some ways, you know. And um, I think I think the kids definitely experienced that. And I think, you know, that they, they when they both went to England, they loved that sense of freedom in England. That, um, and I think that they enjoy that. Uh, Michael, um, your kids are um, well. One, your, one of your daughters, Michael, is actually at Trinity. So, were you sort of pushing the old Trinity? Definitely pushed her. You know, it was definitely. And I enjoyed my time in Trinity. I think we all did. Mm. Uh, and yeah. I wanted her. I like Dublin as a city. You know. Oh my goodness, the fond memories we have of the uh, November colours match between Trinity and UCD, which would have been played out at. Um, Donnybrook. Donnybrook yeah. there, yeah. yeah. But Michael Thompson and Mark Heaton would have put on the most fantastic pre-match um, <laughs> bash. because It's a lovely point to take a break for the news because there is something about rugby in this particular set of news headlines which are read, as always, by the former RT newscaster, and that's Clodagh Walsh. In sports news... Ireland won rugby's Triple Crown for the first time since 1949 with a 21 to 12 victory over Scotland at Lansdowne Road. The hero was out half Ollie Campbell, who kicked six penalties and a drop goal. But the Grand Slam proved elusive, with Ireland losing by 22 points to nine in Paris in early March. Ireland winning the Triple Crown in 1982, Ollie Campbell, the hero, but another hero, particularly for all of us in Trinity, was, of course, Trinity's very own Hugo McNeil. You're a huge rugby fan. Um, it was a proud moment, wasn't it, to have someone you saw around campus and you knew from campus on a Triple Crown winning team? Oh, it was indeed. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I remember going to rugby matches in Dublin, having having a good time. I'm not sure it was all about the rugby, but I remember having a good time. Uh, my, I suppose my, my only claim to fame is that Stephen Smith, who was capped a number of times for Ireland, was in my class at school. So, Oh, yeah, that's a nice yeah. link for, for Michael, because mm-hmm. Keith Crossan, the Irish winger on that 1982 team, you went to primary school with him also. Keith and I got quite friendly at that time and he was always a tremendous sportsman. He was never very big, uh, but he was always a great runner, very brave. He ever had a great sort of schools career, uh, but obviously had a fantastic uh, career as an adult. Sorry to cut in there, Jerry. You mentioned uh, Hugo McNeil there and I can think to my roommate in Trinity, my school friend and, and still very best friend, Terry Cullen. His heart sank when he discovered that Hugo was eligible to play in the Inter-Faculty Cup in soccer. We had approached Hugo to play centre-forward uh, for ESS. I think I could I could see the colour uh, and the blood drain from Terence's face that day. Um, <laughs> and it was a great day because otherwise I don't think we would have, uh, ESS would have got past those law. law uh, no, I think it was, yeah, it was having a rigour, wasn't it? You yeah. had uh, someone brought in special. <laughs> um, we're coming towards the, the, the end of the conversation, which has been hugely enjoyable. But I want to ask um, two other questions to all of you, if I can. Um, are you positive about the future in Northern Ireland? We've recognised the huge transformation and it's hard some ways to remember what it was like. And it's great to see what it is now. But Esther, do you think 
despite all of the complications, despite the continuing rows over Brexit, that the future is bright for Northern Ireland and the people who live there? I remember um, the, pos- the, the excitement and the positivity around the Good Friday Agreement. I can remember I was working in the Korean Probation Office and people went out to vote who had never voted in their lives. And, and we enjoyed a fragile peace for, you know, I think, um, and, and my children certainly grew up in much more peaceful times than I had grown up in Northern Ireland. Um, I, I hope I hope that that's still there and I hope that there are enough people here who have the good of Northern Ireland at heart um, and, and that that will win through. Would hope that things will improve. I mean, I think the economic improvement in the South could act as a catalyst. I mean, I think Brexit might act as a catalyst. You almost get the impression that you know, Brexit is going to encourage people um, to maybe throw their... I mean, I personally believe long-term solution is that the people in the north throw their lot in with the people in the south and and, and to work together um i think the key word there is long term because there's a lot of issues to be worked out but it's a very interesting shift and i know from talking to other friends and colleagues in the north that you know the last few years have made people think again or look at other options but joe what about you in terms of the overall uh big picture you optimistic for the future well, let me just say that Claire, my eldest girl, um, who went off, who was the first to go off to Scotland um, to uni and spent some time in London, came back to live in Belfast with her Scottish husband. And he, very often I would turn to him for his commentary. And uh, he has said to me, he said, listen, this is such a fine place to work and to live. And he said, I am optimistic about the future because I see it in my everyday life that the next generation have listened to the stories, have seen the pictures of what you guys went through during the 70s and the 80s. And that's not something that they would wish on their own children growing up. So um, I take a lot of heart from that, uh, Jerry, And the fact that two of the kids have come back, you know, they've thrown their their weight behind life in Northern Ireland. And yeah, I would be very supportive of that. and. Yeah, I would be optimistic that, you know, in time we can work through all of the, uh, not all of the issues, but certainly make a better fist of it. Remember about people who came down from the north was the fact that you had a lot more money uh, because you had the grants, <laughs> yeah. the good old British taxpayer. <laughs> Jerry, you Jerry, Jerry off? you want to let that, that go by now, son? It's 40 years on. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, I'm in my box. Quite, quite true. But it was noticeable, wasn't it? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. My, my, children, the villain bar. my <laughs> children would be sick if I, if they thought that they were encumbered with all the debt they're encumbered with. Well, I have to say it was great fun and very interesting to catch up with Joe, Esther and Michael from Northern Ireland. That's it for this episode of Trinity Reconnected. I'll be back with another episode in about two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 